Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with, since Carolyn Barnett is not here today, Dave Clay and Carolyn Barnett. Now, nobody tell Carolyn that I flipped that around, but it is justified because we are again without Carolyn. Uh, there were some things that came up, previous commitments, things that could not be changed as far as the schedule, and she is once again absent from us in body, but even as within the Bible, the Word of God, not without spirit. Carolyn, I hope you are with us in spirit, as I'm sure she is. But because Carolyn is not here, the format of the podcast has to change just a bit. And unfortunately, it leaves me or renders me uh, in a position of having to do mostly a monologue. Now, I know some of you are thinking when I say that, I'm sure. Well, you do monologues all the time. <laughs> and poor old Carolyn has to sit there and listen to all the sermons. I apologize. I apologize. First and foremost to Carolyn because she does. She's in the studio with me and uh, has to endure that. But she does get a word in edgewise when I have to take a breath. And I apologize. <clears throat> excuse me. To you, my podcast listener, hopefully listeners, plural, I would never want to come across as just preaching sermons. Uh, it can get pretty boring. Uh, but at the same time, there's so much to say. It's so little time to say it in. And at times I feel very compelled to at least try to bring a full picture, not just some sort of running part week by week or podcast by podcast that you kind of have to stay up with. So with that in mind, apologetically, that you're left with me on the podcast today. I did want to speak about something that Carolyn and I have talked about previously on previous podcasts, and that, in my opinion, is very, very important, and that is the balance. I say balance or begin with that premise because it is a balance. It's a ratio of sorts. I know ratios don't have to be equal or balanced, but I think when it comes to... uh, Biblical, the ratio or the proportion, dimension of it all depends on where we are. Not only in terms of our overall individual maturity, our knowledge of the Word of God, our application, uh, the degree, extent of intimacy, level, I could say, of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, as well then open, receiving, to the instruction of the Holy Spirit, uh, if we're more there, <laughs> then obviously the proportion of the ratio would be leaning toward one versus the other, and what might be the one or the other, uh, the law and grace. <laughs> now, even as I begin the podcast today and I use such terms as law and grace, Most of us, having at least personally, maybe personally, hopefully personally, all of us personally, but most of us, secondarily to that, have experienced a bit of uh, contention, as we've described it, according to King James in previous or most recent podcasts, disputations. A lot of people are struggle or have struggles with that idea of long grace. 
But if the premise would be that it is a matter of both, that would be at least my premise, and that if there is ratio proportion, it would only be where you are individually in your maturity, knowledge of God, relationship with God, understanding of the word, application of the word, but it may also have to do with where you are when it comes to a particular thing, as with material dimension, that you're contending with. And because all of us, at any one particular time or moment, can be in any particular thing, sometimes, and maybe sometimes not, and there are different things that we're into. One may have a struggle here, another may have a struggle there, one struggle might be with other people at work, maybe at home, um, maybe it's a struggle with yourself. There's just a lot of things in this world that could be contentious. Uh, and with that, you have to overcome them and work through it. And though they are tribulations, we can see them that way because there usually is a struggle attached to it. They're not all evil. <laughs> James tells us that and they could do a good work. Uh, not only in terms of getting things done materially and God's hands do have to be moved in material dimension. There are needs. We have them. Others have them. As much as anything in the word is clear, it's that we're to help one another. And even so, love has charity, has a material dimension to it as much as it does a spiritual one. So presuming that nobody is likely to be in the exact same place as we're all unique in situations. The circumstances are unique and no two are identical and the same. It comes back to then maturity. And in that same sort of a way, even within the body of Christ, there's even within your particular home, even within your particular church, um, your immediate social sort of connections, your persons in your life, some are going to be more mature and others not as mature. And we've got to all get along. We've got to all love one another, not only in terms of actions, material dimensions, as with charity, I mentioned a moment ago. Love is actions and meeting needs. But love is also spiritual and we need each other. We need to, first and foremost, I guess, in a basic way, also leaning a bit more toward the material dimension, not fight with it e each other, not have such contention that we divide. There's such disagreement, and in division, we alienate. <laughs> and in our posturing, uh, binary, dichotomous, uh, one versus the other, and unfortunately, we resort pretty quickly to good versus evil. <laughs> And we know there is good and evil, and there's going to be binary things in this world, and there's going to be rights and wrongs, and, they, and it can't be so gray that we lose that sense, even in a co uh, conscious, uh, cognitive, a uh, physical sort of dimension, uh, sense of right and wrong, consciousness, awareness of right and wrong. We don't want to lead others astray either. And we don't want to deviate too far from God's word. And what is God's word even? It is clearly written for some material dimension as much as it is a spiritual one. And that good versus evil on a spiritual level, uh, how do we know 
if our heart's in the right place? How do we know if our motives and intentions are good, even if maybe our actions are yet to be fully reconciled? The material is not to be, dimension is not to be yet completely reconciled to the good intentions or motives of a heart. We measure that by whether or not someone is open and receptive to not only feedback, from the word of God, from listening to the Holy Spirit, conviction, again, not only consciousness, but conscience, virtue, uh, again, intimacy of relationship with God on a maturity level, sanctification level, individual level of maturity and sanctification, but whether they can then take the feedback even so from others and We can help one another. We can edify one another. We can help one another make corrections. Not judge one another, especially within the, you know, that dimension of condemnation where we get to such the extreme of good and evil. Well, obviously you're not trying. Well, how do you know? Because you keep doing the same things. Or I told you not to do this. That would be examples. Those would be examples. But you keep doing them. So you must not be trying. You really don't care. Uh, I, I get it. <laughs> You'll know them by their fruit. And ultimately in the end, I think the word of God would tell us that if it's still difficult, when you get to that point to really sort it all out or to maybe put into action all the good motives and intentions of the heart, Go ahead and die. <laughs> die to yourself. Don't kill, the, again, the other person. That's not godly. That's not what he's called us to. And what has he exactly called us to? Well, there's a lot of ways to look at that. I mentioned a moment ago the Old Testament. I don't know that I said that, but the Old Testament is just that. Outward representation of where we should be. What God wants us to be the corrective dimensions. If God could have a voice that was audible, it would be then the Old Testament. Uh, God does have a voice, and it would be with the Holy Spirit. It would be, again, his, our conscience, his conscience within us. But for those that are yet saved or have not come to Jesus, and, and then the New Testament understanding... Of the very same thing, but measured more so from the heart, not the outward, but the inward, not through legislation, again, law versus grace, not, and it's not a versus thing, it's both, it's law and grace, and it is somewhat equitable, but if we understand the premise of the Old Testament is when, for whatever reason, maturity, situation, circumstance, others' maturity in Christ, Holy Spirit operations, all those things that I've tried to mention thus far in the podcast today, we're not quite able to understand in a human dimension, comprehend in a human dimension, exactly where we're being led or how the Holy Spirit is leading us. Maybe we're a bit resistant to, I don't know that that's something that we can fully escape in human measure. When we don't understand it, when we can't comprehend it, when we become therein because of our lack of understanding and comprehension, this is all human operation, we become afraid and we become 
disobedient, rebellious. Now you can say again, some people are out and out defiant, rebellious. Maybe it's institutionalized. Maybe it starts with just fear. Maybe it's oppositional defiance. Maybe it's just that they've come to a point out of all of that fear to a place where they say, I'm not going to listen to anybody. I don't want to move anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere because it's always trouble. It's always bad. Or because I'm always encountering somebody else who is maybe not really all that cooperative or doesn't play by the rules as I've defined them to be or understood them to be, understood them to be, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. But we know what that gets us. It gets us, again, a lot of contention. And it can be taken to the extreme of good and evil, that kind of thinking. And before you know it, we're killing one another. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of stuff. And though at times in the Old Testament, in our immaturity or in human immaturity, uh, even as children, when it comes to our natural parents, (laughs) we have to learn difficult lessons. And oftentimes natural consequences are sufficient, but sometimes you have to implement not only the rules, identify and hopefully implement Fairly, rightly, the rules, but there's consequences. Though they may be a bit contrived, most of them have to do with pain or some dimension of, of, of pain as an awareness. This is wrong and an association so that, that the person, the child, doesn't end up harming themselves. But when you get to be an adult, it gets to be uglier and uglier if you don't learn that lesson. And what is the lesson? That it is not always something to be learned from the outside. Once you get to the place where you decide who you are or you can come to an awareness of who you are, your identity, psychologically so, individually as, as a person, individuality, the individual that you are, you have to decide who you're going to serve. Is it going to be selfishness in that sort of way, that childish sort of way, childhood sort of way? Or maybe it is with this greater awareness when you get to the end of all that, and even if you don't understand it, even if you're afraid of it, you still have to die. Because it's better to die yourself than it is to kill somebody else. But you just don't die. And most of the times it doesn't require us that we die, certainly not in material dimensions, although you can make the good case and argument that the Old Testament, for the sake of salvation or redemption, the physical does have to die. But then that's where the New Testament once again sort of steps in, or Jesus in New Testament context steps in, the New Covenant comes to awareness or fruition, but it wouldn't be to your death, it would be to your resurrection. (laughs) And our mortality and carnality and and all the things that otherwise does make it hard for us to be selfless, all the things that we have to contend with in material terms, literally, as I tried to frame it earlier, contention, tribulation, as long as we're in the flesh and we have all this going on, there's always going to be struggle. But when you begin to realize that dying to self is not really dying, and certainly it's not dying to spirit because that's the thing. (laughs) It's more than a thing. That's the part of us that lives eternally. That is the God portion or part of us that lives eternally. Then Jesus says, well, in the end, regardless of whether you understand it, comprehend it, whether there's fear attached to it, you have to believe and have faith, not only in resurrection, 
but that God is right. And whatever then he brings out of all of this seeming chaos, the stuff that makes us afraid, the things that we can't wrap our head around, we try very hard. The Old Testament tells us to try to give our best efforts to follow the general rules. The basics, the Ten Commandments, as Moses brought them down, as God wrote them on tablets of stone, and he brought them down and gave them to the people. <laughs> and that God is the Father, but in Moses, our Father, a very kind of paternal sort of way. We try to do the best we can to adhere to those, but because it isn't always so clear, and because things, even so for creativity's sake... They're never going to be so easily put together. And sometimes things just aren't going to, in that moment, be put together. But God has a way of putting it all together, keeping it all together, allowing us to find in that sort of broadest of terms a way to live within those commandments. And we should not forsake them. (laughs) And if we never learn them, and we're old now and no longer children. And, or maybe we've been corrupted by years and years and years of either neglect where nobody taught us those things. Or in that self-will where we just did what was right for us and thought of it even if we tried to do it rightly. Well, what's best for me first? And then if it happens that I can be benevolent, I'll do so for the sake of Or even and help others. Give to others. Be less selfish in that secondary way. Or maybe it's just for the sake of reciprocity. If I don't do this, I'm not going to get what I want. That's still got a selfish motive. But the New Testament says when you've done the best you can to live in the Old Testament, (laughs) then grace and mercy is the only thing that you can count upon. And what does that look like? It looks like God saying to us, Despite the fact that you guys and girls in a material dimension can't get it right, at least to the satisfaction of missing this contentious or this tribulation element, or even so because there's going to be a lot in their immaturity that are not going to grow up and maybe some will have hardened their heart in, in those elements of provocation. They've become so hardened, defensive, They've become so traumatized or hurt by their experiences, they've given up on love. Whatever might have been there, as with clean upon birth, we're all born into original sin. Does not mean we're in sin coming to (laughs) this original sin of the natural and the material. But how long does it take? I mean, probably the moment of conception, you begin to become corrupted your birth and your birth into corruption. You are brought up in corruption. Your human apparatus can't even really comprehend how much corruption. And by the time you get to the place of knowing who you are, it's on you so much you've come to accept it has to be there. It's just part of you. And some in their trauma, all of this representative of trauma, the corruption, the hurt, the pain, the abandonment, the neglect, the lack of knowledge, the lying, cheating, and stealing, father the devil, the the world, the worldly dimensions, again, all born of, I believe, the material aspects of life or death, pleasure and pain, 
We want to live, but we're going to die, and it's all part of the plan that we die. And really, in death, there is resurrection, but the only way to get to creativity is something has to die, so something new can take over. By the time we get there, if our human apparatus, when it starts, isn't quite capable of understanding, it's so insidious that it gets on us, we become so familiar or used to it, or we make decisions in immaturity, by the time that we're mature enough to really look at that and analyze it, we don't want to. Why do I want to go back and rehash all of that? Why do I want to take the chance of letting down what seems, at least at this point, to have gotten me this far? Albeit it may not be with much contentment and satisfaction. And certainly it isn't the saving, salvation, contentment and satisfaction that only peace that passeth all understanding. The fruit of the Spirit, the stuff of only God, the highest dimension of love, or at least as with balance, ratio, proportion, Yes, we have to contend so there must be Old Testament law in place. We should try as with virtue and character in a material sort of way to live as best we can to that standard. You could say up to that standard. But what we're all seeking is the other aspect of love. Not only that someone might be reminded, you have to die to self sometimes, if not all the time, especially when you can't get it your way. And if reciprocity were even to be a factor, which is it isn't in a highest order sort of dimension, it is an Old Testament. If you do this, God says, I'll do that. So it's not that that isn't a good lesson and one that we all maybe all have to learn. But even in reciprocity, it is better to lead with giving. <laughs> Everybody understand the general rule of reciprocity is you give first. And if everyone's giving then you're more likely, if not guaranteed, to receive. But that's not how people do it. (laughs) They don't believe. They don't have faith. And that's just in human dimension, courage to do that. That would be a better world. And even if we could just live by the Old Testament, it would be a much better world. But the New Testament dictates that because it won't work that way and because there's still going to be residual of the selfishness, either born of trauma, people who are stuck and fixated, arrested in their development, psychologically, physically, emotionally, all within bodily context. And certainly, if that keeps you from accepting Jesus, because that's really the gospel according to Jesus Christ... And then to be able to understand the new covenant within that sacrificial dimension. To lead with that. And to understand that even if you think it's going to kill you or maybe in that circumstance it does. God though has promised you redemption and resurrection. Because all the things that he taught you in the Old Testament is the best way to get along with him. Cooperate with him as far as his virtue and character. And to save yourself undue struggle strife, difficulty, and then to lessen the contention with each other, certainly he's not a liar. (laughs) First John chapter 1, God is not a liar. We are. We are broken. We are weaker. We are infirmed. (laughs) Our righteousness is but filthy rags. 
Whitewash sepulchers, as Jesus called it, with the stench of rotting bone, flesh, (laughs) inside. We need new hearts. The temple needs to be sanctified, cleansed, cleaned out. We need to understand. But even in that same understanding, the temple, as Jesus said, would be destroyed, and it was. It isn't the brick and mortar temple. It's the body. But he didn't destroy it so that the temple, so to speak, wouldn't be there, but that we would understand we're the temple. But even in our bodies now being the temple where the Holy Spirit God chooses to reside, even so, the Holy Spirit is not bound by our flesh because our flesh is no different than the brick and mortar that Jesus prophesied would be not only destroyed, but even as he told them, I will raise it up again. Or as he was mentioning or describing in his mentioning of this himself and his resurrection, telling them about his resurrection, mentioned this with the intention of speaking of his own resurrection. We too are going to be resurrected. I don't know what the resurrected body is going to look like. All I know is it's not about the flesh, it's about the body. Not about the body and the flesh, but it's about the spirit. And particularly the Holy Spirit, and particularly as Holy Spirit, the divine nature that God brought to us the moment he brought us into conception. It's just all the stuff, the corruption that gets on us makes it difficult to see it. Makes it difficult to appreciate it, even so in ourselves, as we try to figure it out as we try to face the need for Jesus Christ and accepting of him as our Lord and Savior, but how he is in transforming even in a physical dimension us, in sanctification, cleansing us, the Old Testament still applies, even in New Testament context. But it never saves. What saves is realizing, despite our best efforts, We're not going to be perfect because it was never intentioned physically for there to be that kind of perfection. There is the way that seems right, a way that seems right unto us, but it leads only into death. That's it. But God promises not only to resurrect us, redeem us, but he doesn't take our soul. Our soul is eternal. What he does is he removes all the dross, wood, hay, and stubble, all the stuff that isn't good, that isn't of him, that is just dirt of this world or being in this material experience, the bangs and the bruises, he heals. But he doesn't heal the flesh to the extent or degree he does. But to the extent or degree that it is eternal, what it is is his spirit. And what is his spirit most attached to, at least in some material definition? It's our heart. It's our soul. This would then be outwardly manifest or disgust even. As I said earlier, mentioned Jesus, we have to speak of it in some material way or we couldn't communicate it. We don't have words to describe what our godly soul is except to put words on it and then the words that we use are bound to our human concepts, our ability to conceptualize. So we define it in human terms, but it's more than that. And when we get to the point of understanding that we, as we die to self, 
as we give up our human conceptions, as it seems like that God's taking our very life from us, he's not. He's setting us free to live. And the Holy Spirit then is not bound by our humanity, but then can kind of begin through a glass darkly, albeit, give us some awareness of the greater glory, (laughs) the grace and the mercy that we're not really going to have to contend with all this stuff. It's small stuff in terms of eternity. It's a very short period of time if there would even be such as time except that God would have created it for us because we get lost. (laughs) We need references. But once you establish the references and you try to cooperate as an Old Testament dimension with God, you still have to let it all go and trust that the Holy Spirit is really a better guide, a better motive. Try to do the right thing out of the best motive. And what is the right thing? It's not just Moses and the Ten Commandments as with the Old Testament. It is Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not only as with the Ten Commandments, it would also be the two great commandments. And as much Jesus gave us those two great commandments, he did so in this same way I'm trying to capture it on the podcast today. He did that in the best way we could comprehend it and understand it. And he spoke out of flesh to flesh. He was Christ, he was God in flesh, but even as the Old Testament spoke, (laughs) we needed a living example for the sake of the living word. And we have to embrace not only the gospel, but with that love, we said earlier, it's not only good thoughts, good intentions, but the actions should follow. But if you start with good thoughts and good intentions and a good heart and a cleansed heart and a renewed heart and a heart that is otherwise after God's, a person, man, woman, after God's own heart, if it is otherwise then with Jesus now occupying the physical temple because we've given up all this stuff about boxes and buildings, Ark of the Covenant, and temples in that sort of way, God's living in us. We've come to that realization Those are all outward manifestations. Serves purpose still today. (laughs) But he's in you. But once we begin to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and we begin to seek him out in that way and he begins to reveal that he's in us, it shifts a bit. But the two great commandments best capture what that looks like to not only have Jesus in your heart, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior unto salvation, The only one that can save you is Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the Messiah, for all humankind, not just us who believe him to be the Messiah. It's not just the higher power, so to speak, or the God of our own creation. No, those are idols. And we can make anything an idol. We can make anything our higher power, but just simply because we want to believe it is doesn't make it so. Jesus is the legit thing. He is the Messiah. The real article, so to speak. But according to the King James, Mark 12, verse 28. 
And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, of course, if you read, <laughs> read the Ten Commandments, and you understand that really then Jesus is presenting, I guess, an even more sort of on point, concise, pithy sort of presentation of what Moses said, you begin to realize this is no different than the Ten Commandments. But what is different though is, is the capturing of now the availability of loving God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit if I might loosely translate. When you get to the point where you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and he abides within you, then you're beginning to understand that, yes, it isn't our best intentions that save us, but our best intentions as aligned with God, and if we passionately seek after him and want to understand <laughs> even the Old Testament, then want to apply even the Old Testament Mosaic law. Thus, not only apply it as unto God, our relationship with God for the sake of cooperation, comprehending then in as best we can articulate it, the mind of God, as in Old Testament, to love God and his ways as he has shown us in the Old Testament. Then if you love God and you want to be like Jesus, and that's part of it, the motive is to understand him, then you've accomplished the end, the same end. You've just done it as with New Testament in a different way. Nobody's making you do it now. You're wanting to do it. You're doing it out of a heart now, a motive and a will. Is it going to be perfect? No, because there's nothing in that same way perfect except Jesus. Nobody can abide in the Ten Commandments perfectly, except they would have not only the heart, but the help of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. But what is again, or who is again, the Holy Spirit is God, but it's the divine nature in you. It's the stuff of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, I think 1 Peter especially speaks of putting on, arriving at the divine nature through what he described as best he could as with spirit inspired, Holy Spirit inspired in words that we could, in human dimension, comprehend and grasp. Not for the sake of making that happen in us, but for the sake of our cooperating with that. He articulates how to get to the divine nature. Go read it. But basically, Jesus is saying, love God 
He didn't say, except me. That is what it said. It said, except the gospel. But we know it is accepting Jesus, because if you can't accept Jesus, and Jesus is God as best could be manifested in human dimension, you're not going to aspire to that. You're going to still hold corruption. And what's the corruption? Selfishness, self-preservation. It's in us. Survival. There is a dimension in the flesh of survival. It's undeniable. And it's not bad. It's just not salvation. And for the sake of our material existence, we should. We shouldn't put ourselves, we should try to stay alive. We shouldn't put ourselves in bad situations to harm ourselves. And we shouldn't try to take others to places and put them in positions to harm themselves, even if it's for the sake of, again, serving ourselves, or even as is, then for the sake of serving ourselves, it's all selfishness. It's not good. But self-preservation in that way is not bad, except it would come down to this. It's not going to save you in the end, because in the end, there's going to be an end, and it's going to be the end of your flesh, and including then in that, your human soul, your identity, your personality, the psychology as well as the physical, or the physical as well as the psychology that's attached to it. It's not going to endure And if it's not aligned with God, it's not going to function very well in the material dimension. But if it's not aligned with God and you don't grasp this, that it's about the highest order, the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, you don't make, construct, put together, acquire, learn in any human capacity, you just... (laughs) Learn to appreciate he's there. And where is he? He's in your heart. And as you accept Jesus, this revelation comes to you. Now, I'm not disagreeing that it may be some impartation of the Holy Spirit. But I'm more likely to believe the Holy Spirit's been with you all along from the very beginning. He's just gotten buried and covered up and we've denied him and blasphemed. And I do believe you can get to the place where you can blaspheme the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, as the King James would put a Holy Ghost, to the point where you see your conscience and in that you're not cooperating anymore and you don't have a desire to. And if there's anything that's going to preclude you from the charity, the love of God, even in material dimension, as according to the Mosaic Law or the two great commandments of Jesus, as I read them a moment ago, That's going to be it. You're going to get in the way. The devil's going to build. There's going to be strongholds erected. The devil's going to bind you. And he's going to hold you in contempt and be in contention. And God is going to, in the end, just have to say, well, that's why we just have to dispose of the flesh. And where does it go? It goes to hell. where It's eternally disposed of. It's not that that means that the eternal soul is completely destroyed because as even the book of Revelation would capture it, as even Jesus would speak of it, there can be eternal damnation of the soul. But it is the human soul, as long as we have human reference, which is pretty much the only way we can see it right now, you're going to suffer that. But I thank God that the day is going to come when I'm not going to have human reference anymore. And I believe God can redeem and will redeem all things that are Him, of Him, including the immortal and the eternal 
and that which is, is of the Holy Spirit, the actual divine nature that he imparts in us or as comes to material fruition through, and I guess the impartation would be in the flesh if we're going to have any impartation. He chose to put it into human vessels made of clay. But secondary to that, it's in you all the way to your death. It doesn't go away. You just deny. You just push away. And it creates not only problems for you, me, the individual, you could take a lot of other people down with you when you do that. And that's why there needed to be then a new covenant relationship built upon the old, but superseding the old as with, oh, now I understand. Now I get it. Now I see it, touch it, taste it, feel it. Now I begin to remove myself or die to the old paradigm that was flawed, possibly even so, because the human apparatus still, even in developmental terms, even if I just look at that psychologically, can't comprehend that to the age of reasoning and accountability. It's not an excuse, it's just a reality. But by the time that we get there, we've already pretty much been formed or established in some human soul dimension, identity, that has to die so that the real true identity can, the glory of the Lord in that way, can manifest himself. And that's the gospel of Jesus. But if you start with that and you have then a desire and passion only for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but recognizing that's only the asking. (laughs) But if you ask and you do that in the right way, as with, I don't want to be this that I am. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live in whatever dimension of it I might have experienced it up to this heretofore. In human terms, I don't want to think of all my experiences, all my references, all my life in a judgment day sort of way as being nothing more than this. I want redemption. I want resurrection. I don't want to be bound eternally to hell as best as I could conceptualize of it forever. I want to know the glory of the Lord. I want to see the day of my Redeemer. I want to see my redemption. I want to see the day when all that God has promised me comes to fruition not only in me, but in others. And I want to do that as in Jesus Christ. Because on the day of Pentecost, if I read Acts and understand What that was, all of a sudden we begin to see what God has always called us to. At least catch a glimpse. (laughs) Did we stick with it? No. Is there still works that needs to be done? Not of ourselves, of the Holy Spirit, of Christ in us. Yes. Is there still ministry? Is there still harvesting? Yes. Until Jesus comes again. In that, I'm hoping, hopeful, whatever the resurrected body looks like, it'll be free from this corruption. (laughs) Human, I don't want to be human again. I don't. I don't, I can't hate my body. (laughs) 
Because again, it serves a purpose or God would not have given me a body. But it's only for the purposes of what we're doing now in human dimension, in material dimension. But it's not, thank God, it's not who I am eternally. Thank you, God, that I'm freed from my human body and all the troubles that others bring me that I create in response to all of the things that otherwise dying for the sake of living again, the creativity that has to happen. The, the material, there's always going to be something that changes shape and form so as to take on new shape and form. And the energy doesn't. The Holy Spirit doesn't. The breath of life doesn't. It's always there because it is God as he is now moving through flesh. As in the, the, the covenant of Abraham that God entered into. They cut the cow in two and the censer passed between it. As with Hebrews 4. The piercing, dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, the Holy Spirit, is a discerner of the intent of the heart. That's what we're saying. God passes through the flesh. We are not bound to the flesh if we believe, trust the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are first and foremost God and choose to not abide in human dimension. And even what has come to human construction, which is, by the way, you. You make that. Others contribute, but ultimately, it's you that make you you. (laughs) The good news is, if you've made you you in human dimension, then why can't you change? You own you (laughs) in human dimension. But the only way you can do that because of the fear of death or you can't kill yourself because that's the enmity, the survival instinct, you have to do that in Christ. You have to do that in God. You have to do that out of Holy Spirit. And you have to have courage and faith to do that. But once you, as even with, again, going back to Abraham, take that first step, The first measure was his step of faith. But as he took the first step, God then multiplied that measure of faith so he could take another. (laughs) It's that old adage of one foot in front of the other. It's all that you do when you start to walk. And every journey begins with that first step. That's being born again, Nicodemus. The Spirit goes where it wants to. He wants to reside in you. But you can't be flesh and hold him back because he is not bound. You are better to be spirit and one with God. And the best you can do is cooperate. You're not going to get it all right because you're not God. The Holy Spirit is going to give you discernment. But again, you can only see it so much. See God so much. Comprehend it humanly, Job. I can't tell you it all, Job, because you can't comprehend it, as God would say. When we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. We are very limited. And when we start to think we're more than what we are, and when we start to exalt the creature rather than the creator or the creation rather than the creator 
we're idol worshiping. Now you can do that with other people because they look like they got it all together. Even the angel of light appears as an angel of light. The devil who gives appearance as an angel of light. He's tricking you. Especially if it's somehow carnally based. But I challenge you, what child hasn't thought their parents weren't the greatest thing in the world? Even if they weren't and the rest of us could see it. For the sake of childhood and the need that that therein holds, most kids do and still want to. But there is a day of reckoning, even with our parents, we realize they're failed and flawed like we are. And what they've taught us, albeit it may have been the best that they could, it wasn't enough. It's never enough. There's never a complete and total picture of God in human form, except it would be Jesus. And what did it cost Jesus to maintain the integrity that that represents? To live by the New Testament, not the Old? It took the ultimate letting go. He laid down his life so he could take it back up again. God didn't steal his life from him. Otherwise, it would have been Old Testament just obedience and it would have never worked because it would have brought up all this defiance. No, it's going to kill me. Why do you want to kill me? If you really love me, God, you wouldn't put all this on me. If you love me, I wouldn't have to go. No, God didn't put it on you. He put you himself in you and you are flesh. But when he did that, he did that for the sake of life. And it can be a great life. There's nothing wrong with material existence, even with all of these perils, the tribulations that go back to our dying. If you understand, it doesn't kill you if you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therein, you don't want to kill other people. You die, you love others as you love yourself. And how do you love yourself? Not out of yourself, out of your own creation. You do it out of God's love. We love because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4. That is a very difficult message. Especially when someone is immature. (laughs) I started the podcast by saying it's a balance. Both sides. Old Testament, New Testament. We all need Old Testament rod sometimes. Correction. Why? Because we're afraid. God's not going to make us do that. It's still a choice. Salvation is a choice. But there is a consequence for rejecting Jesus and not abiding in the gospel. But God's intention isn't to beat you up or beat you down into compliance. That's not God. That's not love. As best as I could articulate it out of my best comprehension. And I'm saying only that because I am you. You are me. We are in human terms only able to see through a glass darkly. That's my best comprehension of it. But I think it holds truth and I think it's aligned with the word of God. But simply because he wants to correct you or spare you or continue to remind you for the sake of cooperating 
getting your body, your will to align with his so you could cooperate with what is necessary as with definition of material existence. God's ordained it. He's made it this way. We have to abide in that. But it doesn't have to cost you your soul. You don't have to become embittered. You don't have to become hardened or hard-hearted because of all of the things, the tribulation again that you go through. But we have to balance that out at least in, in some sort of equal terms way. Not for the sake of reciprocity, although that will again get you somewhere, even in material regard. But for the sake of salvation... With the message. But God doesn't want to kill you. He wants you to do the best you can. Doing what he's ordained you to do. To sanctify the world. To bring order to the chaos as best you can. So we don't kill each other and kill everything else. But more so, he wants to save you eternally in your soul. You're going to have to lose your human soul for that to happen. But it isn't God even taking your human soul. You have a choice. In the end, it's going to be necessity that God has to purge the human. That's hell. That's the fire. We go through some of that now. The flaming swords, the tribulations, the fire that saves us is saving us because it's taking away our humanity. Again, wood, hay, and stubble. Removing the dross. It's not bad. It's painful. I get it. It's hard psychologically to embrace survival instinct, all of that. But we have to trust and believe that Jesus loves us. That God loves us so much he'd send his only begotten son as with Jesus loves us. God prepares a way out of what seems to be no way. If there's a valley of the shadow of death, we walk through it. Hopefully we can go through it with one another. Two or more gather together in his name. He's in the midst of them. Jesus said that. That would be the Holy Spirit. That would be Jesus. But even if you should not have anyone else to go through that valley of the shadow of your death, it's Jesus. It's the paraclete. He left the Holy Spirit. He had to, it had to be this way so that he could come to life within you so that you would not make him an idol. You wouldn't make it so transactional or still live in that dimension. He had to prove to you that it wasn't the material Jesus that saves you. It was what immaterial dimension, the Holy Spirit manifesting himself as Christ the Messiah with personage for the sake of our ability to relate in human terms, perceive as well as conceive. But we need to put away even those childish things. The Apostle Paul, faith, hope, and love. We need to see the full picture of love. But once you taste of that, if it is even in some basic way, hopefully, always going to be at minimum equal, it can't, I don't believe, stay that way or you're not going to make it to the other side. The tipping point is once you taste of that, once you experience the Holy Spirit, once you die to self and he resurrects even in present context. There'll come a resurrected body one day when Jesus comes again. But Jesus is resurrected in you now. If you will accept him as Lord and Savior, as you do, he's resurrected in you now. 
You're an apostle. You have intimate conversation with Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, He is the Holy Spirit alive within you. The hope of our glory. Paul was saying in the love chapter, by the way, 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's speaking to the gospel. He's speaking to our loving others as we love ourselves. But for the sake of not alienating people, you have to be willing to die to them, even as Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even so, the Apostle Paul speaks to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He becomes all things, all a matter of men. You know, you read, you could read the epistles of Paul, and you could say, well, he's kind of double-talking here. To the Romans, he says, be benevolent. To the Romans, he says, don't judge. To the Romans, he says, just love on them, even as so the New Testament church the disciples, the apostles, as they got together and figured out how they were going to minister to the Gentiles once they've accepted or once they accepted and received the calling, Peter, Paul, Barnabas. They decided, we're just going to at first trust them to love God, to accept Jesus is what they want to be. But they knew full well that it wasn't going to end there. They were going to have to backfill they were going to have then this passion, this heart, the first of the two great commandments of Jesus, to love God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit. But once they got that, then all the Old Testament stuff was going to be much more easily received. Then it could become encouragement and exhortation and edification. And the Apostle Paul did a bunch of that too. But he was just telling the Jews, you've already got all of that down. Just accept that you can't be saved out of that. That you have to do it out of a different motive, a real heart, because by the point that Jesus came, those that had received the law and had chosen to abide in it were burnt out. They were upset and they were angry because it wasn't working. And they needed the breath of life breathed into them again. A second time, as with Jesus, as with the Holy Spirit again renewed, revitalized, Adam, God breathed breath into Adam. Jesus brought a fresh breath of life, restoring our awareness of the Holy Spirit. It's not out of you, it's out of him, but he's going to finish the work. Let God give you the power and the strength to overcome. They had to overcome their oppositional defiance. They had to overcome their embitterment. Literally, the Hebrew people had to become a representation of Christ. And that's what Romans, in many ways, I believe, the messaging of Romans to be. He was telling them, you have to die to the heathen or the Gentiles because they don't know this yet. But the one thing we can all rally around is that we can be saved in Jesus. And rather than starting with the law to lead us to an awareness, logistically, of the need for Jesus, we don't want to start there. We want to tell them the good news. <laughs> get to the promise. Give them the dessert first. They don't have to eat their meal to get to the dessert. And then, as they would receive it and want to be like Jesus, then they can go read these two great commandments, which says to love God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Which, loving God, 
according to the Old Testament, was with the intentions of Moses, the Mosaic law. It wasn't the entirety of the law that Moses gave. Again, thank God we don't have to memorize all that. But it was a pretty concise version of that. And until Jesus could come or God could send his son, send his son Jesus to show us what it looks like in flesh, it did sanctify us. And in the same sort of way, you raise up your child in the way of the Lord. It sanctifies them until the day of their accountability when they can take on that personal dimension of a relationship with Christ and operate out of their own agency and choice to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And though you may still encourage them, let go of them at that point. You're just going to get in the way because you are a human and they know you are. (laughs) The disillusionment, they've come to an awareness. But don't let that then confound what they believe could believe that God is. Because sometimes in their disillusionment with, as I was mentioning formerly in the podcast today, they come to an awareness, you're screwed up too. Lest they would then make God you or think that somehow that's all it is, is that you came up with God just to kind of scare them into doing what you thought was right. And then in the end, they figured it out. It doesn't always work and things change and... Let them go. doesn't mean don't pray for them. It doesn't mean don't encourage them. But just trust that God's got them now. And all you can do is support him in ministering to them. The Apostle Paul was a disciple or was discipling or mentoring, I should say it that way, all of the New Testament churches with his epistles. But for the Romans, they already knew that. But for the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, they were the Gentiles. He wasn't double-talking. He was just speaking to the circumstances that they were in. Their level of individual maturity. The message had to be tailored to that. Lest he offend them. And if he offend them, then he was not going to engender anything but defiance. And they're believing that he was basically saying... That they're lesser, a failure, failing. And so much so, again, going to 1 Corinthians 9. Beginning with verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, and in parentheses, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, the new covenant first, Rather than the Old Testament, for the sake of, again, redemption, actualization, even in physical dimension, but more so release of the divine nature as adults mature in Christ. Those are all things I added. That I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men 
that I might be all means, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Now Paul wasn't saying that he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He wasn't saying that he was going back and forth or that really he was just trying to trick everybody or he could only say this to these group of people but then say something to another group of people or that if you knew the law, he wasn't saying that it wasn't about trying to do the best you can as with that sanctification, as with the Old Testament, just for the sake of grace and mercy and that everything else then goes out the window as far as the Old Testament, as I might say that colloquially. But what he is saying is, is that when he was preaching to those that knew the law, he didn't need to teach them the law. They knew the law. What they needed to learn was the grace. And the distinction between though the law was sanctification, it wasn't salvation. But there is no salvation without some measure of sanctification. But the will to subject yourself to the sanctification, (laughs) to the element of laying down your life, to love others as you love yourself as with according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as unto salvation, not only for the Jews, but the Gentiles, it was going to take everything that you had in the way of self-discipline. Because God wasn't going to kill you, and he wasn't going to make you do that, lest it would do nothing but engender the opposite of salvation. Well, you must not love me, or you wouldn't, punish me like this God and I don't want this punishment stuff you say but it doesn't happen and I try to please you treat me perfect but I can't oh wretched man that I am as with again the apostle Paul no what Paul was saying was but to the Gentiles I'm not going to put all these rules on them because they're going to feel condemned they're going to feel inadequate they're not going to be able to believe they could ever get there they're going to try and even though they try really hard they're going to do end up same place that the Jews did in the Old Testament without a full awareness of the Holy Spirit in them. They weren't earning God's love. God's love was already in them. They were just trying to remove themselves. And the best way to do that without killing themselves or everybody else or casting everybody into outer darkness or even requiring then some sacrificial lamb or some sin offering Killing animals. I think about that. It always upsets me. He said, don't do that. It's better just to say you were wrong and ask for forgiveness. But why would you put that yoke on people who already didn't know anything? We're still even more immature than you are. And if you happen to be hanging out with people who know Jesus, but are still immature, don't do that to them. Count it to your advantage that you know more. That's the power the Apostle Paul could come in and just say, well, I know everything. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and maybe he did do that somewhat when he was persecuting not only Gentiles, but Christians, some of whom were Jewish, of the faith, of the family. But he learned pretty quickly on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, It doesn't work. All it does is kill people, Paul. That's not Jesus. It's not God. And you can't be about that. But he spoke to the audience. He spoke to the people where they were in their maturity. Once more, getting back to how we began the podcast. 
We have to appreciate that, not only in others, but first and foremost in ourselves. We're not there. And with that, there's just a lot of situations and circumstances we can't judge because we've never been in them. And thank God, some of them at times are worse than anything that we've been in. But I'm sure others might look at you, me, and say, well, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. That sounds awful. At least have that level of compassion for one another. We all go through stuff. And nobody's going to get out of this world, materially, without going through that stuff. And it's just part of. But don't let that destroy you. Let that build up your faith. And what should your faith or your courage be established in? Not only the promise of God, but the actual literal demonstration of Jesus Christ resurrected. He showed himself in physical even dimension to the disciples and those that were fortunate to see him before his ascension to one day come again to do this again, to show himself in that way. But he, even so, as he promised, he's left the Holy Spirit as evidence. It's New Testament, New Covenant. But that's where the power to love comes from. But don't let anything that you know or that you are convicted of get in the way of somebody who doesn't know as a a stumbling block, as a trap. And I think the Apostle Paul is speaking to that. How are you going to do this when you're a broken vessel? You're not going to do it out of yourself, obviously. It comes out of the Holy Spirit. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in you, That measure of law and grace and how the two work together and the Old Testament and the New Testament work together or how they come together in Jesus Christ, how they're manifest not only in Mosaic law that was then trying to be descriptive enough that we could get a bit of a glimpse of it in human terms before Christ and the offering of redemption and salvation as Jesus is the Messiah... Declaratively, I want to say it again. Jesus is the Messiah. He is our Redeemer. He has come. But now we can see it in the two great commandments sort of terms. But even so, it's the same law. But now it's of the heart. And how come? Because really, no man has greater love for another than to lay down his life. When you do that for another and they understand that it's something even to the extent what value is that? It's your life. There's no greater price that could be paid to redeem. Put yourself, as Jesus put himself, on the cross. I'm not saying die unnecessarily. But I am saying, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, which he does. I mean, how could he not in light of any or all of the things that I've said today? Or we've discussed today in the podcast. It is better to go ahead and die for another than to let that stand as an obstacle or an impediment to the other. And what better way for the other to see Christ than to see Christ in you? The hope of not only our glory, but their glory. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the call of Christ. And that's what we're called to. We get caught up in this love, this law of grace as both manifestations of love. And it is. They are. 
but they were working together. The two-edged sword, Hebrews 4, it's not one-sided, it's two-sided. And these are the two sides. But it's not of you to make that determination. It's of the Holy Spirit to give you the discernment. But if you are as mature in Christ, you'll make good discernment. And you'll be able to help them. And you'll become all things as you would need to be. And though you're convicted and you don't lose sight of either the wrong or the error in the way they think, the one thing that they do believe in, that you believe in, is that Jesus is what they want to become. Don't get in the way of their becoming like Jesus. By fighting with them over that. It's silly. Makes no sense. And in counseling context, it's part of that as well. I can't fight with people to save them. Otherwise, I'm working contrary. But I can remind them, as I am on the podcast today, of who Jesus is and how operating out of the Holy Spirit with that in mind. The Old Testament is not evil. It is good. It's still a sanctification today, especially still for the lost. We cover a lot of lost people in that way of, thank God, rules, <laughs> value, the law as would then be Old Testament. But it is not the end. It would not be the fullness of either one's psychological or physical development, emotional development, bodily development. There's a highest order even in that measure. But it certainly isn't of spiritually high order or highest of order. We need to always lead with that. Because if we do, then when Jesus comes back, there'll still be those that need to be purged. But we'll still be, as the book of Revelation captures it, ministering to the nations. Whatever that looks like. Again, The Holy Spirit gave it to John the Revelator in the best way that John could conceptualize it or John conceptualized what he was given to the Holy Spirit in the best way he could, but it was still human terms. We do not know. We can't begin to imagine what that's going to look like except to be able to understand that we cannot see the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, again, he's there. And we know him to be Jesus as much we know him also as with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, knowing to be God. Abide in that, and you'll fulfill the two great commandments, but you'll also fulfill the Old Testament commandments and Mosaic law, and you'll also have your best basis or foundation for confidence that whatever you're doing, you're doing out of good motive. And should God check you of spirit? Stop! Until he either gives you the specifics, he will. But don't raise up a sword, certainly against your brother in Christ. But anybody, it's better you die than it is to win a material battle that will take all of us to hell. With that thought in mind, though, and aren't you glad? I'm going to stop the sermon. I'm going to stop the podcast for today. And won't you be equally Maybe even greater glad when Carolyn comes back because she keeps it from becoming this monologue. But should you want to reach out to us, you know how. Covenantsonline.com, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can call us at 304-528-9220. All those wonderful things that Carolyn typically says in closing. 
And uh, certainly she is the one that will reach back out to you and uh, any way you want to communicate it with us. You can catch us on Facebook. We do a lot of sharing, I guess, of good information. Some of it really high-minded. Some of it just practical day-to-day stuff on Facebook. And you can catch our podcasts there. But regardless of how you reach out to us or if you reach out to us, I just want to always extend the invitation to come back and join us for our next edition of What is Covenants? Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry. And for today, and any other day, Carolyn would not be here, Dave Clay and Carolyn Barnett. Until then, God bless you.